Welcome to the Jesus and Everybody podcast, the show where we talk to every guest about the intersection of Jesus and their life story. My name is Andrew Ironside, and thank you for joining us on the episode today. It's been a few weeks since we've had an episode out. It's been a busy stretch for me personally with a few other projects and work going on. Big fan of Survivor, and we've put on a Survivor at Home event. Really encourage you to check out that website as well, survivoratHome.com. Uh, today, very excited to have our good friend, Paul Bartley. Paul and I work together at Youth Unlimited here in Toronto, in Canada. And Paul specifically works in the Jane Finch community, serving young youth, young men in particular, uh, walking with them towards holistic transformation, healing, purpose. Uh, Paul does amazing work on the ground. And today we get to hear a bit of his own personal journey, coming from being a pastor's kid, his own upbringing there, some of his experiences both here in the city and in Burlington, related to race and religion and violence and community and ultimately to God. And then, of course, Paul's going to speak to us about his work that he does with youth in the neighborhood um, on the ground and his passion for that. So, so grateful to have Paul here today. And without further ado, as part of the Jesus and Everybody podcast, this is Paul Bartley. All right. Welcome to the Jesus and Everybody podcast, Paul. It's great to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, man. Yeah, I really am uh, glad you're here. Uh, we've had a few weeks off. Uh, things have been busy for us personally. I'm sure for you guys too. We're going to get into that. But the premise of the show, as you know, is to talk ab- about really the intersection of faith of Jesus in our life story and where that comes to play. So I'll just we'll just jump right in. I'll ask you to start talking about your childhood, your upbringing. What part did faith have to play for you? It was massive. So I'll just start off right off the bat and saying, I'm a PK. Uh, I was a preacher's kid. I am a preacher's kid. So uh, growing up, uh, faith was right in my face. Everything that I seen from basic things, like eating dinner, going somewhere, our family would always pray. Um, all my relatives were like involved in the church. So uh, I was foremost uh, put in my face about God and Jesus and, and that religious aspect. Um, I think for me, uh, majorly, I was supposed to die, I guess the word I was supposed to use when I was born. I had a very, very bad infection when I was born. I forgot the name of it, but the percentage of babies that survive it is like almost next to zero. And I'm a twin, I have a twin sister. And my parents, uh, when they re- tell me this, um, the testimony or the story um, said that pretty much the doctor said to them, forget, forget your son. You have a healthy daughter and just focus on her. Mm. And my parents were just like, yeah, no, God promised us these twins. So we're not going to, we're not going to give up. And my parents said they spent the night praying and I made like a miraculous turnaround in a day Mm. that night, the next day, the doctors were all dumbfounded. I did have to spend like a week in a hospital afterwards, but like I was completely fine um, afterwards. So yeah, it was that kind of like hearing that, hearing that as a young child, like, you know, right in the forefront of your mind is like, you're here on this earth and you're alive because Jesus really wanted you to be here. (laughs) Mm. Um, So yeah, that was kind of my right from the beginning, um, my upbringing. Mm. So your parents would say that's obviously a, a, a sign of God early on and, and that driving 
encouraging their faith too. Have they talked to you about what, what impact that would have played though? Cause I can't, you know, you have kids now I have kids yeah. just, just to go through that. And again, some people's kids don't make it in those mm-hmm. scenarios. So what, what did that do to their faith? Did they share I, that with you? Oh, they did. They did. I, my mom and dad, it was interesting because I asked them if they were scared and my parents said they actually, they weren't scared. And they said, because they knew um, that God promised them me and my sister. And so they said that it didn't matter what the doctor said to them. Um, They knew that like I was going to be okay because they, God gave them our names and everything and said, these are going to be your children. Mm -hmm. So they said they actually were not scared, but they said like, you know, obviously my mom said when they first heard the news, she was kind of like, what? And then when she got her bearing, she's like, oh, she's just like, they knew they had to pray and uh, cover me under prayer and knew that um, I would pull through. So they, it just, it was a kind of like a confirmation of their faith, I would say. Mm. Um, my parents said that it was something that it was great, a great way to start their parenthood, knowing that God definitely was in the midst of it. And What do you mean? Yeah, you said that they you know, we're promised by God for a lot of people listening who, especially if they're not religious, what does that mean? Like, how does God promise something to people? For for my dad, I'd say my dad had, even how my parents got married was very, God literally showed him things in dreams. And so for my dad, he said he was never going to get married. He was just going to focus on um, being a pastor and doing God's work. So that's what his mindset was like, I'm never going to get married. This is what I'm going to focus on. And he said, he kept having uh, dreams of my mother and he was getting so annoyed that like, why am I thinking about this woman? I don't even really know her (laughs) a couple of times and kind of went to his spiritual mentor and said, like, I'm having dreams of this woman. Like, I don't want to be thinking this way. Like, I don't want to be like, what's going on. And then his, uh, spiritual mentor said you need to bring this before god and pretty much god told him like this is going to be your wife and you're going to have children and like and kind of that whole spiel and uh so yeah my parents got married <laughs> and within a year um, my mom was pregnant with my sister and myself mm. and so he said my dad said that like god told him like kind of gave him specifics on how to raise us the things that he wanted us to focus on and yeah, it was, it was crazy. And I, to be honest, growing up, I, I kind of had doubts of all that. I'm like, oh, good, that really? And it was funny. Right, because it does sound, for a lot of people here, and that they're like, oh, that's nice. But, like, it sounds crazy almost. It does. It does sound crazy. And being a young kid and stuff, I was kind of like, okay, Dad, like, like maybe you kind of, like, filled in some things there. Like, you know, and it was crazy because, like, we'll get to it later. But, like, literally, I've had the exact same experience mm. <laughs> Um, and so it just is just very interesting um, that when I had doubt in those areas, God actually allowed me to experience uh, something very, very similar. Mm. And, and so talk to us about, you know, your, your youth years, you know, be, being yep. in school, high school after that, what, what was that like in terms of just the things that you were doing and, and where did faith come oh, to play in that? Oh man, it was, so I grew up in the Jane Finch area more specifically Weston and Finch and it like I had a very good childhood I was one of the few of my friends that had my father obviously around 
Um, and my dad was very much, my parents, I would say, were very much involved in my upbringing and school and everything like that. But a lot of my other friends didn't have that. So I guess my dad would be considered that like community dad. He'd be at all the like parent-teacher interviews, anything that happened at school, my dad would be around for that. Um, and so for me, because of that, the gangsters and stuff never really let me get involved in anything that had that. They kind of prevented me from getting involved in that stuff. So uh, I even remember specifically, there's uh, two gangs, uh, one major gang that was growing up. They were called the Looney Tunes. I know that name sounds so funny, but it's true. They're called the Looney Tunes. And they kind of was in my area. And I remember one of the guys kind of were, they were recruiting us to go and I forgot, I think they wanted us to like roll through an, uh, a rival neighborhood. And one of the OGs, it was like, yeah, nah, Paul's not going. And the guy's like, why? And I'm like, why? And he's like, I know your dad. Like, you, she's like, you're not about this life. He's like, you're, you're staying here. He's like, you're not coming with us. Mm. And it was kind of like from that moment on, I realized like that gang life and getting into that type of trouble really wasn't for me. I did, I did get in some trouble as a kid, but like the major stuff that like a lot of my friends got involved with, God really kept me away from it. And it wasn't really appealing to me as much. And I guess because of kind of the upbringing I had, and I, I to be honest, I was scared of like the punishment I'd get from my dad. Yeah. And my family. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of kept me from that as well. But uh, um, yeah, I, I did have some, traumatic experiences also growing up uh, one of my really good friends got gunned down in front of his house um, in front of his mom a couple of my friends got arrested for doing some crazy stuff like armed robbery and so forth so it was kind of like how can I use this the spectrum it's almost like that kind of life was normalized I knew like what was around but I kind of didn't want to get involved so kind of sports was my avenue out of a lot of that stuff I was a very athletic kid pretty much played every sport except for hockey because that kind of wasn't prevalent in our neighborhood um, so I, I played a lot of sports I was involved in high level baseball and soccer um, my dad was a really good cricket player back in Jamaica so here in Canada baseball was the closest thing to cricket so he loved it so he kind of got me involved in that as mm -hmm. a age. and I played like rep baseball Team Ontario, same thing with soccer. So that kind of was something that kept me away from, you know, going down the wrong path. Uh, I will say, though, I didn't really focus on school growing up as much as I should have, probably until grade seven, grade eight. Like I was getting suspended a lot. I was one of those combative kids. So I questioned authority. I used to get in trouble. It's funny. Because when I look back at it, I kind of realized what God was kind of grooming me for. I got suspended a lot because I would beat up bullies. I hated seeing people getting bullied. One day I had a teacher, Miss um, Games, who kind of saw like the potential I had. And I remember one day she pulled me aside. It's funny because like my dad would tell me these things. But sometimes when you hear things from your parents, you kind of write it off. And it takes someone else kind of say it to you for it to really ring true right. um so i remember i got i think it was like i got suspended or i got in trouble for something i don't remember what it was and she kind of was like 
Paul, like you have all this potential and I see that you're actually a smart student, but you're wasting your time trying to be funny and like other things when you should be focused on. And she's kind of like giving me examples of kids that she taught in the past that ended up like in jail and all that type of stuff. And it was funny because a week before when I, after I got suspended, my dad kind of was like, you're at a crossroads where you need to make a choice. Like you either are going to live into the potential that God has called you to live into, or you're going to fall down a wrong path. And he's like, it's going to be very hard for you to pull yourself out of it. You need to make a choice. And normally like my dad was very stern um, with me. And when we had, he had that talk, he was very soft. And so that kind of threw me for a loop. And it really made me think about this is the, the decisions that I was making. And I decided, I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to try to be a good student. I, I kind of said that to myself. And within a year, I was on the honor roll. I became valedictorian. Almost like a complete three, well, 180, I would say. 180, 360, you end up back where you started. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say 180. Yeah. <laughs> a complete 180. And this is kind of where... I saw the purpose that God was kind of pushing me to. I became a peer mediator. Um, so I had to take this course in, I think it was middle school. So grade seven and grade eight, where I'd kind of be a mediator between any two students that had problems. Um, and I would sit between with them and try to mediate the situation. It was kind of then that I realized I had a heart for helping others and more specifically young people even though I was a young person at the time I realized I kind of had a heart for that and I always volunteered doing stuff for young people even at church I got in trouble always because I, I instead of listening to the sermons I would always be hanging out with the kids the, the little kids and playing with them and stuff so I'd always get in trouble for that but it kind of guy was showing me kind of where he was pushing the direction of my life Mm -hmm. I'll kind of go in grade nine. I went to Emory Collegiate and which is like Western Finch area. And there was Emory and then kind of down the street, like not even five minute drive. Um, there is Westview and our two schools represented two different gangs. So there was a Bloods and Crips. East school represented a different gang. And I remember seeing some guys from Westview kind of always hang around the parking lot. And so we kind of knew everyone kind of knew something was going to happen, but we didn't know what. And I remember I had a basketball game and my sister, I have a twin sister, Paula, Paula and Paula. Don't ask me why my parents did that. I can't even talk about how much I got teased growing up, but um, yeah. So my sister came and she's watched like maybe at the court first quarter and then she left. And then in the middle of the game, we heard bang, bang, bang. You can hear literally shots going off. And so we had this procedure out of school when the shots go off. You kind of like go into a, like a lockdown procedure. So uh, our coach at the time, I remember his name was Mr. Barnes, kind of was trying to keep everyone in the gym. And he's like, no one can leave, no one can leave. And I was like, Mr. Barnes, like I have my sister. Like my parents told me I need to take care of her. I need to see if she's okay. And I remember I literally had to fight him to like sprint out the gym. And when I opened the gym, maybe like a minute of like running through the hallways, I saw a fellow who obviously had been shot um, crawling in the hallway. And that like freaked me out even more. 
And like, I was like, oh, I need to find my sister. And I sprinted out and I ran into the parking lot and I just saw people scattered everywhere. There was blood different places. It was, it was insane. But like at that time, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was more thinking about, I need to find out if my sister is okay. And literally there's our school, there's a parking lot and a huge, um, like there's like a mall, like a kind of a strip plaza. And then down the hill was where we lived. And I remember I sprinted, that was a very, very steep hill. I jumped the fence, sprinted down the hill and went across the street. And we lived in an apartment building. And I buzzed the house um, from downstairs and my sister picked up. And like, it was such a, a relief to know that she was okay. Mm. Um, and then the aftermath of things, we found out like a teacher got shot trying to protect a student. It was, it was big. I think it was one of the biggest shootings at that time at a Canadian school. So, you know, media was everywhere. We had assemblies, people asking about if you've seen the shooter to like, come forth and give information. And everybody like was tight-lipped. At that time, like no one wanted to say anything. It was that whole thing about he felt like you wouldn't be protected if you gave information up. So really no one said anything. And like a lot of our programs got canceled and it was a really tough, really, really tough time. And I remember my parents were looking for housing at, uh, for a home for us to live at during that time. And I guess after that shooting kind of was like the final straw and my parents packed us up. <laughs> and the next year I moved from Jane and Finch area to Burlington, which was a very, very different Huge difference. Oh my goodness. Very, very difference. And I, I'm not going to lie. I was extremely ignorant of what was outside of my sphere, which was Toronto. Right. And I remember driving up when my parents were saying we were moving and we, were, we went to go look at the house. We drove up uh, highway five, which is Dundas street. And back then it was all farmland. And I remember I honestly started crying because one of my friends said, Paul, like, you don't know how it is out there. They're like, you have to take half the year out to help people like farm their lands and stuff. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And I'm, I'm like, dad, that's not true, man. And he's like, no, it's serious. Like you seriously, that's how it is like up there. Like literally half the year, like you have to help farm. And obviously when we're going up, we're going up highway five, all I'm seeing is farmland. So I'm freaking out like that. Like, is this really true? <laughs> I remember I was really freaking out. But it was a huge difference. And to be honest, in my life, even living in Toronto, I didn't really experience um, a lot of racism because almost everyone, even people who weren't Black, kind of we all were, had the same lived experiences and circumstances. So I, I didn't really experience a ton of racism or I would say there was some prejudice, but nothing that, like, nothing crazy. Um, until I moved to Burlington and my family kind of made up like the black population of the school. And it was, it was an experience to say the least. And I learned a lot during that experience. I was also, when I started playing football, that kind of shaped a lot of my late teens, early adulthood life. And even during all that time, I will say my faith wasn't what can I say? Super high. I would say that I almost felt like because my dad was a pastor and, you know, he'd pray for me and all the type of stuff that I was good. 
So I wouldn't say I had like a strong relationship. I still acknowledged God in my life, but I wasn't really reading the word. I didn't really make a full commitment to him. I kind of was just doing whatever I like. I kind of wanted to do. And it wasn't until I would say the first year in the university where I decided to really give my life to Christ fully and completely. But yeah, moved to Burlington and <laughs> it was an experience. Like I said, I've met some people who are my friends to this day there, but I also experienced extreme prejudice and racism from like some of my teachers there. And uh, for some people, like I, I never stole anything in my life. I'd go to stores, people would be following me around. And while people were following me around, my friends were stealing because all the attention was on me. Right. Your they white was, friends. Oh, yeah. They'd like, they would love it. They'd go, they'd steal all like the hubba bubba and all like all the everything. And I'll just be there and I'd go to the front and pay for whatever I had. And I remember I got to the point where I was so frustrated. This was like a couple months in where I went to one of the store owners. I was like, you know, while you're following me around, you're getting robbed and it's not me. And mm. I've, every time I've come into the store, I've, paid for what I've had and you still like send people to follow me around and stuff. Um, I don't understand. And it was like one of the first times I had a real negative experience with police officers was in Burlington. Um, we were doing, I think it was like a water balloon fight or something like that. And we're all out and you know, it was like two different schools doing it. And I remember two cop cars rolled up and Everyone scattered and ran, but I didn't run because I was like, yo, I don't have no water balloons in my hand. At that point, like I wasn't really doing anything. I was just hanging around everybody and everyone scattered. I'm like, I'm not running because I didn't do anything. And yeah, I was targeted big time. I was threatened that like I was going to go to jail. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, okay, why are you guys doing this? They asked me where I was from. And all these questions that really wasn't like, I'm like, I live in Burlington. Like, I don't know. Like, but are you from Toronto? I'm like, but what does that matter? <laughs> right. it, was so, it was so interesting. But like I said, like one of the major things that whenever I would come home and tell my dad and my mom about it, one of the main things that they would encourage me to do is to pray about it and not to harbor hate. And I think that was like a major point in my life that didn't, allow me to hate others that weren't like me. I think that was huge because like some of the things that I did experience, um, I can see how that would cause people who are, who experience extreme racism to harbor hate. Mm -hmm. um, but my parents always encouraged me, you know, God doesn't want us to hate others and he wants us to love others. And if you hate, how are you showing God's example? Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that was something that I really tried to do was to love others, even though at times it was difficult. I remember one time, even during one of my football games, yeah, some guy tackled me and said, like, said some racial slurs in my ear, and I was, I was so livid. And I remember like going to my coaches and telling them and certain people, and it kind of was like, there's like no real big deal made out of it. And, and I was kind of like, but this is not normal. How is it that someone could say something like this to me? And like, there's, so it was like, it was a real interesting experience. Um, and it wasn't all like negative, right? Like I, I, I was able to see what life was like outside of the quote unquote hood and the opportunities that like other people had that me just moving really 45 minutes 
um, down the road kind of opened up to me, right? Like we started playing football. I remember like I had my own textbooks, um, being able to go on these crazy trips that mm -hmm. I never, I never really got to experience when I was living in Toronto. Um, and it really opened up the doors to me, right? And really made me see that I can pretty much be what I want it to be and achieve more. Yeah, and I, I, from there, I had um, offers to go play sports uh, in the States and stuff, but they wanted me to go to JUCO and do all that type of stuff. And I had some academic scholarships here. So my dad kind of was like, and to be honest, at that time, in my head, like I was never saying I was going to go play professional sports. I wanted to be a journalist and later on a lawyer. So that kind of was what my mind set was and process was. I never thought like sports was just an avenue for me to do it. It was never my end goal. Yeah. And kind of that was like, I guess my formative years during, during high school. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I moved to, I went to university at the university of Guelph where I kind of really, um, you know, established my relationship with Christ and really began to see what that looked like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Living on my own, living on your own kind of does that. Um, yeah. And so it was my first time really away from home, playing sports, doing school at the same time. And I was also working to have to be able to afford things. And it was like a lot of pressure. And at times I really felt like quitting and like leaving school. And it was there like, and it was, I'm a, what's the word? I'm a introvert by nature. Um, even though like I'm sociable, like I rather spend time, by myself on my own um and so a lot of times when i was playing guys on my team are like out partying and doing all that type of stuff and i was home working and is that kind of where like i really i guess formulated my relationship with christ i remember mm -hmm. and just saying god i want to i want to live for you and man it was it was a marked difference in terms of how others started to view me and in the beginning, it was hard because I was kind of seen as the outsider or the person who wasn't a team player because I didn't want to do the things that the guys on the team were doing. Um, I even remember specifically, I, I remember the story very vividly. Um, so, you know, we have a hard two-week training camp. And at the end of training camp, there was kind of like a celebration. And I remember uh, the guys on the team were like, oh, Paul, we're going go to we're gonna go to church to celebrate um, us making it through training camp and ignorantly at the time I was like, Oh, that's amazing. But I should have known better because we're going to, we're going to church at like 1130, 12 o'clock at night. Right. So like what church are we really going to? And in Guelph, there was an old church that was turned into a strip club. And I remember we're driving and I'm all of a sudden we pull up, you know, you see all the flashing lights and all that type of stuff and all the like veteran on the team's like, yo, Paul, we're going in. And I'm like, I, uh, I'm not going in there. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I, I don't condone that stuff, man. I'm like, that's, that's not who I am. I can't go in there. And they're like, at that time, they all drove me and it was far. So I, like, I could even walk back if I wanted to. Um, and they're like, so what are you going to do? You're going to sit in this car for like four hours? And I'm like, if, man, if that's what I have to do, that's what I'm going to do. And I literally sat in the car mm -hmm. outside for four hours. Um, maybe it was a bit longer while the guys and stuff were inside. And I think 
when they came out and they saw that I was still there and I actually stuck to my guns, I kind of garnered some respect from a lot of players. And, you know, I had a lot of people asking me about my faith and a lot of that um, while I was playing. But some people looked at me like, yo, Paul, you're crazy. I can't believe you actually stayed out here for like four hours. Right. Like for what? You could have just came in. Like you didn't have to do it. You could have just came in. I said, no, like I don't, that's not, I don't want to support that. So. Right. So talk about that for a sec, Paul. Like those, there's things, there's stereotypes that people have about Christians and yep. right near the top, they see like sex is a bad thing and yep. a lot of negative stereotypes there. Um, so why, why is that? Why don't, why are you not going in a strip club? What's the big deal? What would you yeah. say to even to youth listening today? Like who cares? Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I think, I think for me, uh, like I said, I, 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 I so I'll, I'll just say I have three sisters. Um, I have a twin and two younger sisters. So just growing up, um, I viewed women differently. What's the word I would say? I was always told by my mom and my dad to look after and care for my sisters. So even growing up when like I'd hear my friends talk about women in a certain way, I, got, I would always like strike a wrong chord with me because of how I was raised and the fact that I had three sisters of my own. And I always, would always say like, what if someone were to talk about my sisters that way? Or I'm talking about a woman that way. What if someone was talking about my sisters that way? So for me, it was that was kind of always at the forefront of my mind when dealing with women. Uh, and also, I kind of saw some of my friends the impact of dehumanizing women, if I could say, or treating them as objects. And I kind of saw the effects of that. So for me, it was more like I didn't want to be a part of something that treated women that way or saw them as objects. And so for me, that's kind of what like was the major stand that I made. And I was like, if I go in there, what, what would be the point of me going there? I would just be going in there watching women and like objectifying them. And I, that's kind of not what I wanted to do. And it wasn't like later, cause this was like very, very early in my Christian faith, like very early, like I would say the first couple months of when I decided to like, you know, really give my life to Christ. Um, and I kind of was like, I felt this like conviction in my spirit. Like, this is not something you should be doing. And so I was like, I, I, I'm not going to do that. And yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't always easy. Right. Like even when I was playing football and stuff, like there's always a lot of pressures to do things. And at times I like, I'm not going to say I was always 100% holy, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was definitely, a, a something that was on the forefront of my mind and, uh, something I would, I would always be praying about for God to give me strength in those areas. And, um, you know, I realized it was like, I had a lot of guys on the team afterwards asking me about that and, you know, asking me to pray for them and things of that nature. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was difficult in the first beginning, but then I actually began to enjoy being different, enjoy representing Christ and what that stood for. And um, I started to enjoy that. I started to enjoy, and I think a lot of stereotypes, like one thing that I got from like a lot of people was like, how can you be competitive? Like, especially playing a sport like football, that's kind of brutal. And I will say when I played, I was, I was a very, I would use the word violent player. Um, I played a lot of special teams, which requires you to be, have a little, I say a screw loose, <laughs> running into people full speed and so forth. And um, yeah. So, yeah, like, you know, and I realized like one thing that God showed me was like, he wanted us to 
or me specifically to do everything as, as well as I could um, to, to do everything in excellence and to represent him well. So mm -hmm. for me, is like even when I played, I was super competitive on the field. But as soon as the, the game was over, um, you know, I was like, I'm not out there trash talking a lot, but like, you know, I'm competitive, like I'm working as hard as I possibly can on the field. Um, but it was, it's interesting because a lot of people didn't expect a Christian boy to, to, you know, be as competitive. And I think the narrative has kind of changed a lot now that a lot of athletes have been publicly declaring their faith and you get to see them compete as hard as they can on the field or on the court or on the or in the rink or like, you know, so it's just, uh, it's, it's great. But back when I was, it wasn't something that I think was super popular. So, right. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, Paul. I wanted to backtrack a little bit to um, some, some of your experiences and you covered quite a bit there. So I don't know, we won't have time to get to it all, but I do want to tie in what some of your work is and with yep. youth today and youth unlimited. And that's where you and I know each other from. Um, but even kind of to back that up, you know, you talked about the racism, the prejudice you, you, you see in the suburbs and mm -hmm. going even further back your own experiences uh, with youth, like your peers at the time in Jane Finch. Yeah. What, give us a picture of these communities. Cause you know, Jane Finch, people hear yes. that they hear, they hear Jane Finch on the news. They hear shooting, they hear killing people don't even bat an eye. It's like that. Like they don't even lose a second sleep because it's like, Oh, that's just normal. Right. That's, normal. that's the normal. Yeah. Um, so, and you, and you kind of alluded to that. There was a draw for yourself and a lot of your friends. You see people, you know, who are killed. So it, it sounds like to a degree, the stereotypes are, tr are true. And yet there are major gaps missing in the picture. So my first question here is just, give us a little bit more about the community, you know, like what, what aren't people seeing on the news just behind the scenes every day? I think one of the biggest things is the heart from one another from a lot of the people in the community. It's a huge immigrant community as well. Um, people from all different walks of the earth. I will say like, you know, how you say it takes a village to raise a child. I almost knew like everyone's parents. I knew almost everybody was like a, close-knit community so forth um, when I was growing up and people really wanted to take care of each other um, and so I think that was one of the major things that I don't think people see is that there is a lot, lot of people who really care and look out for each other um, and prevent people from going down certain paths right like it's, like it's like what you see in a lot of things the negative is always highlighted and you rarely see like when you look at the news is rarely you see positive mostly they report negative news right and so kind of in the community those things are always pushed to the forefront and I kind of mentioned like you know I've seen a lot of like my friends some of my friends get killed and jailed and all that type of things but I also seen a lot of positives that have come out of my community um, guys owning businesses um, a lot of uh, people giving back to the community and um, yeah so for me like one of the I think I'll paint a picture is a, a lot of What's the word I want to use? I'll use hopefulness and promise in the community, right? And seeing a lot of young people, at least when I was growing up, uh, wanting to achieve the world, I will say. Um, I think part of the issues now is the access to opportunity sometimes. That's where the disconnect happens. And that's where sometimes you see 
you falling by the wayside um, because they can't get those access to opportunities. Um, but yeah, so for me, even working in the community now, um, working with a lot of young men, I see a lot of potential. And I, I do believe it takes mentors in a village to help raise these young men. And that's the, the group that I work with. Mm. And once I see that, I start to see like tons of things go well. Uh, the potential, uh, you know, skyrocketed guys going to post-secondary, um, guys being positive contributors to their society and the community. Um, and those are things sometimes that is not highlighted, right? And it's not shown. Um, and, but obviously like if someone gets shot, that's like oh, front page news. But yeah, I, I even say like, I remember even growing up, I had never seen drugs in front of my face. That wasn't, I knew it was always around, but it was never in my face. And when I moved to Burlington, like I would see that stuff so openly. And it was like, so shocking to me. I was like, uh, bro, like people were doing like some like hard drugs and stuff. And I was like, what is this? Like, <laughs> I'd never right. seen, I'd never seen this like growing up in Jane Finch, you know? So for me, like, I think that some of the stuff that like is overlooked and there's so many different community programs. I remember growing up that was out there that was a part of, I worked for the city of Toronto, um, the leadership and training program I did. And that kind of was the push kind of also like a start for me working with young people. Mm -hmm. uh, I just and, wanted to pause you there. Sorry. Like I find that's really interesting what you said, just the, the, again, people look, they think of crime in the GTA Jane Finch, right? Yeah. But you don't think of Burlington or the suburb, other exactly. suburbs. It's yep. kind of that white collar blue, like different crimes versus inner city yep. crime, which yep. has a long history. And it, it's weird that we do that as human beings, right? Like, I don't know why it is. I wonder how much racism plays into that, but just that we, I mean, obviously, obviously people getting shot and killed is awful. And at schools mm -hmm. that, I mean, obviously that's going to make the news, but if we're talking about and the work that you and I do, like, you know, like we're about like getting to the heart, holistic youth yes. transformation so if we're talking about like how youth are really doing in their communities man like how different is it really if some youth are facing threat of physical violence and gangs and other youth of yeah hard drugs or peer pressure yeah. i mean the, the depression the suicide the anxiety the all the issues are those exist in every community every and, and and certainly i i mean i don't want to minimize the effect that poverty has because that is a factor for sure. And there's even, as you know, conversations, backstories there of how we've ended up where we are. I, I yeah. know that's, I'm not trying to minimize that, but I just, when you said that, I was like, man, that's, I don't know if people think that way that much that like, we think of youth, the struggling youth of our world, every neighborhood needs this. Every neighborhood, 100%. And I, I even remember when I lived in Burlington, some of the stuff that I saw, right? I almost felt really sorry for a lot of the youth there. Um, because even though it looked like they had picture-perfect homes, a lot of these kids were struggling. Man. Some of the things that they were struggling with, I was like, man, like I've never seen that growing up in Jane and Finch, right? Oh, I remember like seeing some crazy, like I remember going to a friend's house and their like family had like a huge grow up in the home. And I was like, what, like, <laughs> what is this? Like, I remember guys like running like a, almost a fight club in the backyard, beating each other to a pulp. It's things that I, I've never seen before and the struggles. And one of the things that like I realized that like, a lot of people would share their hearts with me. And a lot of my friends would share kind of the struggles that they were having and things that were happening in their home life and so forth. 
And I remember when I would go back to Toronto, visit my friends, they would all be like, oh, yo, it must be so nice out there. And I'd be like, yo, man, like some of these kids are really messed up, man. It's not like what you think it is. Yeah, there's some good things there too. But like, bro, like not all sunshine and rainbows, man. Like there's a lot of things. And I'm like, every community, this is when I begin to see that every community has their issues. Mm -hmm. Every community has things that, you know, under the surface and there's like root causes to a lot of that stuff and then that's why i start to see with even with young people almost it doesn't matter what community you're in they need support they need love they need direction they need mentorship yeah and that's kind of what my focus is today like with youth unlimited to provide those things um, to help these young people reach their full life potential yeah tell, tell us about the work you do paul ah uh, yeah so it's an exciting part I run a couple programs here with Youth Unlimited. One is called Iron Fruits, which is like a fitness mentorship program. And I run a program with a coworker of mine, Benjamin Osei. It's called Hoop to Hope. And it's a sports, I'll call it mentorship program. And then I do a lot of mentoring. Uh, I would call it big brothering um, with a lot of young people here in Jane and Finch. And pretty much like my heart is just to walk alongside these youth, be an heir to them, I use obviously sports and strength training to do that, but pretty much that's what it boils down to is just being someone that they can talk to, someone that they can feel safe with and share, and just to really walk alongside them and show them how God really transformed my life and that God can really transform their life. And in God, they can reach their full life potential. That's where my heart is, to really walk alongside with them, um, to love them, um, and just to be, I'll use the word, uh, just a positive male role model. I think a lot of, I remember even growing up, a lot of what I saw as a, was a role model. Rarely did I see someone as a role model who was doing something positive with their life, who wasn't involved, you know, in the gang life, who didn't have all the fancy shoes and all that type of stuff. My heart is to show these guys that Jesus will make all the difference in their life. I think for me, that's the major thing. Because um, even when I worked with the city, I, I, you know, was mentoring these guys and walking alongside them. But it was hard because it was hard to share my faith in that environment. And with Youth Unlimited, it, it's perfect because I'm able to share my faith and show these young people how I've been shaped, right? And, um, and how God is shaping me and how God is working with me. And it's always a working pro- pro- progress. But I know that I have the ultimate backing, right? So that my heart is just to yeah just loving these guys and and being a constant in their life and knowing that even when things don't go well and you know i'll be there for them and with them i think that that's been major and i've i've seen a lot of growth in these guys um, mm-hmm. a bit, so you talk about faith there too being a piece of it that, again a lot of people are listening and they're thinking like why not do all the good work without faith again like in the news this week with the residential schools and like a lot of people in 2021 a lot of our peers people in the city of toronto burlington wherever they hear religion they're like man that's there's so much harm like why don't you just do the good work without religion like what do you say to someone who challenges you with that Mm -hmm. i i i always know that everyone has their own perspective on on life and how they go through things. And I'm, I've been asked this question, this question several times, even from people on my team. And I said, I can only give you my story. 
I can only tell you my experiences. And for me, I have tangibly experienced God in my life. I've tangibly seen God change circumstances in my life. So for me, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because of God, right? And you know, people are like, oh, but you were raised your whole way, your whole life this way. Maybe it's, you know, you're just doing it because you're raised your whole life this way. And I said, you know, I, I had to really make a conscious decision to follow Christ. And I kind of given examples of how God has done some amazing things, even in my own life. And even recently, um, I don't even know how much time we have, but even recently, uh, my wife and I have been married for eight years and we had the longest struggle even to have children. And it was something where I really prayed about it. And it's a huge thing. God really showed himself for it. And after eight years of trying and doctors saying, we're never going to be able to have children. We were able to have a son. And now my wife is pregnant. We're going to have another uh, baby in September. But it's like these examples I share with people. So when people are like, oh, why bring God into it? Why do this? I'm like, because I have, I personally don't have a choice knowing and seeing what God has done for me in my life. It's something I have to share because that is what shaped me, right? And people are oh, Paul, like, I love all your positivity and your mindset. And I'm like, that Paul is only there because of God. I have to share that, right? And I'm like, that is what has formulated and shaped me. For everyone, you know, they may not have the same experiences. I'm like, this is why I have to bring God into anything that I do when I talk to the young people in the faith, because I know how I've been shaped by it and how it has formulated my life. Yeah, that's beautifully said, Paul. Thank you. And just one more kind of hard question here on this part. But what do you, again, what do you say to people who hear you, who really respect you and even your faith story, but whose own experiences haven't worked out, right? For every, for your, for your story, where you see God's hand in that, there are people listening right now who, who haven't been able to have a child and they've tried yep. and tried. They, their friends have been gunned down. They, they're like people who are sick that they love, they pray for them and they don't get better. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, and uh, you know, even I'm sure youth ask you this stuff all the time, you know, like when they're seeing the, some of the suffering and the hardships in their own community, uh, how do you, how do you reconcile your faith with that suffering? Mm. Yeah, that, that is a really tough question. And, you know, even as a, as a Christian, sometimes I ask them, like, like, why do these things happen? I think one of the major things I think that I try to, you know, reconcile and bring to my young people, anyone that asks me this question, I say, try and ask God these questions. I'm like, me as a human being, I don't have the answers. And one of the things I've always shared with my young people, I'm like, I don't have all the answers and I can never stand in front of you and profess that I know everything and that I'm perfect. And I said, like, God, I, this is where I kind of, I bring the word, right? And I'm like, God doesn't pro- promise everyone that everything is going to be hunky-dory in life, right? And it's not always going to be that way, but he asks us to trust him. This is my personal experience, but people who have gone through that, I say, I know for certain that I, don't have all the answers for anything but i knew that god is a comforter and he can comfort you and i'm like sometimes i i can this is where i think being honest and open with people is so important and i'm like there are many times where i'm i question god and say god like how why are these things happening and even you know the news with the residential school being a new parent i broke down man it was something i was like i could never imagine having my child ripped out of my hands 
taken to a residential school and had never seen the child again, only to find out that they died, right? And I was like, God, like, why do these things happen? And I will not say I, I know all the answers to that. But one thing that I do know is that, me personally, <laughs> is that God is faithful. It, it's, it's honestly a tough question, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the major things that I try to tell people, like I said before, is that I don't have the answers. And what I can try to do is journey with them as much as possible um, and for them to really bring these questions to God, right? Because a lot of times people ask me, why does God allow this to happen? I say, but I can't answer that because I'm not God. So I said, the best thing for you to do would be to ask God. And I'm like, develop that relationship to him. And I'm like, I am praying that he would give you answers to these questions. You know, it, it, it is tough. And I had a lot of people who have been hurt in the church before and have been hurt in religious context. And they always ask me, how is it that you can be a part of something like that? And I always say it's because of my, of my own personal relationship with Christ. And it's, it's honestly a journey, right? And in any relationship, there's ups and downs. There's questions that you have. There's things that you can't believe, like, why is this happening? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a good question. It's a tough question. And that's kind of the answer that I've always given people when they ask me, even the young people, like, Paul, like, why is it that our communities, why is it that we have to suffer? Why is it that we, that we are going through this? And why is it that my friend died? And, and I, like, my whole thing is I cannot give you those answers. I am not equipped to give those answers. Uh, um, but I say one thing I can do with you is pray with you and walk with you and love you because that's mm-hmm. what the bible asked me to do and i like anytime things like you know i get those questions one of the things i make sure to do is just go home and pray for um, those people that ask these questions that god can reveal himself to them and give them some solace and some answers because it really is tough right it really is like at times hard to say god how are you there when these things are happening in the world yeah I appreciate you sharing that. I, I, it's interesting how the, we wrestle with these. Everyone wrestles with this stuff to varying degrees. So it's good to talk about it. But mm-hmm. like, as you said there on one, you, you can equally be like, I don't get it. And at the same time, see God present when you're, when you're present with these youth and comforting them and being a friend and supporting them. Right. Like mm-hmm. everyone listening is like, yeah, that's like, that's of God. That's good. <laughs> right. I, Even though the situation is horrific sometimes. Yep. So, it's weird. It's like this paradox we live in. And I don't know. I mean, you see Jesus in the midst of great suffering and his own life, but also in the enters the suffering of others and others. Yep. And it's, that's hard, man. I, I like, and I like that you're being honest that there's not an easy answer. I, I think people are kind of done with easy answers, right? This stuff doesn't do any good anyway. So, yeah. And I, even one of the things I try to use my youth as much as possible, I tell them like, I'm like, I wrestle with these questions with God myself. Right. And I think, Growing up, I used to think like everything in Christianity was perfect, right? And that like you'd always get all the answers to all your questions. And I would say like there's things in my life that I wrestle with. There's things in my life that, you know, didn't work out the way I expected it to work out. Um, But one thing I I do know is God has never left my side, right? And even though these things I've struggled with. And so I think to me that's being vulnerable and being truthful is one of the greatest ways to be a witness, I believe. And sometimes I know people are scared of doing that because it makes them look less than or weaker. 
but I know I'm like, the only reason why I'm standing here and able to do that is because of God. So if I'm able to share, you know, my journey and really what I've gone through, like sometimes I've, I've been told that I'm too real with these kids. <laughs> and I say, listen, I think that's the greatest thing is to be real. Cause like you said, sometimes people are just fed up of, you know, these like perfect answers. Like it's, it's the world is not perfect. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. I wanted to ask you, who are three people in your life who have had a significant influence on you? It doesn't have to be about your faith, but certainly that could be a part of it too. Three people. Uh, one is my father. Um, he's been a huge sounding board, listening board. How can I put this? Yeah. Mentor example in my life. Um, we have a really strong relationship. And that's kind of helped me through a lot of stuff. One I kind of mentioned before was a teacher of mine uh, who we're still in contact with today. He kind of helped mold me and really made me believe that I was capable of more. And I would say now the third person would be my wife. And some people say that may be a cliche answer. I've known my wife since I was 19. And we've been together for a very, very long time. And just seeing her growth and the things that she has gone through and how she has been able to keep her head up and how the God has just worked tremendously in her life. She's just been a huge example to me. And yeah, seeing a woman go through childbirth is something crazy. I don't know how they do it. But um, she's just, just a huge example to me and someone that keeps me focused. Definitely. Just two more questions here. Uh, people who are outside of the Jane Finch community, mm-hmm. looking in and hearing the news, especially if someone is, um, yeah, well, not especially. I was going to say even if someone has a, a faith journey, but I guess it could be anyone. What 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 needs to change or what can change so that if you hear the news, people don't just skip by it or turn it off because it's i don't know we just condition ourselves i mean that's just the honest truth we condition ourselves to be like well those people aren't like me so it couldn't happen to me that's that's kind of what we do when we hear of atrocities right that's the same issue with the indigenous conversation yep. again it's like well they're not uh, you know those aren't my they don't look like me they don't um you know have the same background as me so i can kind of distinguish it kids in africa you know it's sad but it's not my kids and yep what what is I don't know what what is God even calling us to to a more I don't know I don't even know what I'm trying to say I just no, how, I how do we it. change our perspective on this because something something is not right there I think the the main, the biggest thing is personalizing everything any situation saying what would I my response be if I was living that example if I was in this person's shoes, or if I, I think that's one of the major things. And I think, um, yeah, I try to encourage others because people have asked me, so it's hard for me to, you know, see myself there. And I'm like, one of the things that can help you is try to put yourself, like really try to personalize. Like when I watch the news and I see uh, the atrocities that are, you know, happening to the indigenous and I just say, I put myself literally, I try to put myself in those shoes and say, how would I feel if I was being treated that way? If I was being overlooked, if I was 
looked at as as nothing, you know, seeing that and what do I need to do? If that was me, what would I want people to fight for me? How would I want people to fight for me? Um, so I think that's one of the major things we need to see each other as sounds simple, but as one and celebrate our differences. Right. And yeah, Sim sounds simple, but pretty much it's very difficult for everyone to see each other as one. I think that's the major thing. If we can see each other as one big family, brothers and sisters, we wouldn't want anyone in our family to be mistreated or overlooked. If we can see that we'd be working tirelessly to make sure that everyone is seen in the same light. And right. even though, like even in my family, I'm so different than my sisters. Like I'm completely different than they are. And each sister has, they're like, they're all different. And even, but even within that family, we love each other and try to, we celebrate our differences to try to help each other as much as possible. And if that's how the world we're able to see one another, it would really blossom a huge change if not, if that's how the way we saw it. I think that's one of the major things that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that connected again to our work with Youth Unlimited, that idea that every person is made in the image of God and they say, you know, exactly. it's therefore worthy of dignity and respect. And, and that th those words do sound cliche, but it is true. I mean, to start with that heart piece, of seeing other people as genuinely valuable and, and many, I know many people do like, I'm not saying people don't care, but I think that there's something there. Um, I guess the other, the complicated part then is even if you do care, like genuinely you're moved by that and you do see yourself in there and, and you're, you're reading the names and you're praying for the family. It's like people still, I think feel helpless too. They're like, I'm not, I don't live there. Like I don't, I'm not on the ground. I'm not Paul Bartley doing work with youth. There's, you know what I mean? There's almost that piece too, where people are like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I make a difference in a community where I don't even live? Mm -hmm. I think reaching out, uh, reaching out. I like, like I said before, like, you know, not everyone is called to do everything everywhere. Right. I think there's a, there's specific things that I believe God wants each and every single one of us to do. And, um, yeah, I, I could only put my faith aspect to that. I can't really attest to someone outside of that spectrum. But I, I know, like, I've been asked that question from others who don't live or don't associate at all with the Jainish community. Like, what can I do? And my whole first thing to them is, like, pray about it and ask what God really wants you to do. And for some, they may be giving their time. For some, they may be giving resources. For some, it may not even be doing anything in the Jamesbridge community, but where they are living right now. Um, so I think that's one of the major things is, you know, asking. And if, if you do have a heart, I always encourage people. I'm like, hey, man, if this is something that you don't know what to do, but you're interested, come out one night to one of our programs. Right. See what we're doing. Um, experience these kids, and I guarantee it will change your mind, right? And I've had a lot of people like, oh, my gosh, all these kids are amazing. And I'm like, yeah, they're amazing kids, right? They're, they're great people. Um, and it just takes us to experience that for it to change our minds. So. Right. That's beautifully said. And I, it, as you shared that, I, I was thinking of something else that someone uh, shared with me just a couple of weeks ago, but how coming out of COVID too, just how much healing there's going to need to be for everyone, for us as adults and you know everyone for sure. But I mean, especially kids and youth, right? Just, yeah. and Yep. And just, you're right. You can't do it all, but to if there's a way you can connect with people like yourself, 
come and see the work, um, like meet face to face and see that Paul and others are bringing just laughter and joy and sports. You know, you're being a positive influence. You're pointing them towards God and, and got, you know, just journeying with them. Like this is more than ever, this is just significant work and it's not easy. There's no quick fix, but yeah, I just think um, that picture of, it's something that God's put on my heart. I think recently, even though I'm really tired and discouraged too, like everyone is, yeah. it's yep. like the picture of a kid's being able to come and laugh and play and heal and just yes. be, you know, but just be stupid, like a fun, dumb program. Yep. We're all just big kids yep. like you and I and yep. everyone, but to provide a place of healing and hope and of joy. And I know that you do that in your work and I just want to commend you for, for what you do. And I would just say to those listening to, to, um, to pray for Paul to check out his work. And, and with that question, how do, how do people find more information, Paul, about what you're doing? How can they, because I know you support Raise financially. Yep, I um, do. How do people hear more about the work you're doing with um, these? They can uh, visit Youth Unlimited's website. There's a bio and a lot of information about our programs. And if they want, they can email me uh, at pbartley at yugta.ca. I'd love to hear from you. And if you have questions or you want to come out one day to a program when you know things open back up i'd love to see how you'd fit in or yeah and all the information's on that website and i'll put that in the show notes as well so people can access that um so thanks for sharing that last question paul for any youth listening in particular what would you say to them about who jesus is jesus is your best ally that's what i always tell my young my young guys he is your best ally and what i mean by that i try to explain to them is like you know sometimes you feel like you're alone that people don't understand you a lot of times i felt growing up my parents never understood me my teachers didn't understand me but i always say like jesus understands you because he created you so he's your best ally and when you know someone is your best ally and they understand you and know you it's so comforting to be able to leave or to talk to them um, about things that are happening in your life and knowing that they can help steer your path. Um, so that's kind of what I believe with my young people. And I'm going to leave with those listening that Jesus is your best ally. And all you got to do is get to know him. Amazing. Paul, thank you so much for your time. I want to honor you just in the work that you're doing and just sharing a part of your story today and really appreciate you taking us on a bit of this journey. And I really do hope, hope people will, will check out the website and see uh, more of the, of the important work that you're doing on the ground. Thank you so much, Andrew, for having me. Uh, and again, this is amazing, uh, these podcasts and being able to hear people's journeys and you know different walks of life, I think is amazing. So thank you, Andrew. Uh, keep up the door. Thanks, Paul. Well, let me just say one last thing. You, know, you, you shared about how it takes a village to raise a child, this idea of community. I've been more aware than ever during COVID of how much that's missing mm-hmm. community and, and in some small way, something like this podcast and many other resources can, I hope inspire people. And I've been getting messages from people listening to different ones and saying that, that really touched me. That moved me, especially in COVID. I don't feel like I have community and I've been able to hear just someone else who's like me or even maybe very different than me sharing about God and the wrestling and the joys uh, it's important that we share our stories with each other because everyone has a story and everyone is wondering these things anyway. So it's good that we can hear that we're all, you know, we're not the only crazy one. Paul's out there as well. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. Good to talk. We'll talk soon. Likewise.